Good morning, everyone. How are your Christmas preparations coming? Some say not at all. Others like completely done, right? Um, I know you're doing all your personal preparations, but we are making some preparations here at the church as well. Um, next Sunday is second Sunday, which means we always have special treats in between services. And next week, I'm going to encourage you all, if you're willing, to bring something to share. Bring your favorite Christmas cookie or Christmas candy, and we'll enjoy that out in the Welcome Center following the service. And then, if you're willing, uh, we have taken this second Sunday, and we've supersized it, I think is what we, we've done to it. We're um, calling it our um, Super Serving Second Sunday Spectacular. Yes, there was a lot of brain power that went into that name. Uh, we got a little silly, but you'll remember perhaps um, that following the 1030 service, we are going to have some pizza out in the Welcome Center, and then we're going to be setting up the bright lights of Broadway out in the parking lot. It'll be our first time. We're going to learn a lot while we do it, but if you'd like to come and help, you're uh, more than welcome to come and to be a part of that. Um, I heard a story about a little boy who was preparing himself for Christmas, doing what kids love to do best around this time of year, which is making his Christmas list, right? He'd worked super hard on it. He made sure everything was on there, including, you know, robots and remote control cars and video games. And as he finished it up, he was proud of what he'd done, but, but you know what? Sometimes you just need a little extra assurance, right? Like you're going to send this off to Santa. You hope Santa gets the letter. You hope Santa follows through. But just in case, this little boy decided, you know what? I should write a letter to Jesus too. So he got out another piece of paper and he started to write out his list again. And at the end of it, he was asking Jesus to please make sure he got all these things because he promised he had been good for six whole months. That's a long time, right? But the little boy, he sat there and he thought about it for a little while and he's like, Jesus knows that's not true, right? <laughs> so he crossed out six months and he made it three months. And he's like, okay, all right. And he's like, no, yeah, he's going to know I'm lying. <laughs> and so he crossed out months and he put weeks. And so his letter now read, um, I've been good for three whole weeks. And as he sat there, he still had this like pit in his stomach. He's like, that's not true either. And so he took his piece of paper, he crumpled it up, he threw it over to the side. He went over to a nativity scene that was sitting on a table nearby. He took the figure of Mary, came back, got another piece of paper, and this time started his letter this way. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, and then proceeded with his list. <laughs> That's some serious stuff, right? Like this kid meant business. And that's always true when you bring somebody's mama into it, right? Um, I remember when Lincoln was in kindergarten, he got off the bus one day, and he uh, came into the house, and he had just tears streaming down his face. And I, you know, went into full mama bear mode. I'm like, what has happened? What have these kids done to him? And so I asked him, like, Lincoln, what did they do? What did they say to you? And he finally, like, caught his breath, and he said, it's not me, mommy. They were talking about you. And I was like, what? You know, like my anger melted into pure um, confusion. And I was like, do I look weird at the bus stop or whatever? I've already embarrassed my kid. I wasn't even trying. Um, and so I said, what did they say? And he finally like caught his breath and he said, they said, your mama is so dumb 
like the jokes, right? And he started launching into all the your mama jokes. And I was like, oh, baby, that's not about me. That's just like things kids do, right? Like your mama is, I don't remember any of them and they're too mean to tell, but they weren't about me in particular, but still it had struck a chord in him. It's serious stuff whenever you bring somebody's mama into it. Sometimes there are these clues when someone is feeling passionate about something, right? And when you can tell, like, they are getting very earnest about this situation. So it got me to wondering, like, do you have a tell whenever you are getting serious? Maybe you don't take uh, Jesus' mama hostage. <laughs> maybe you don't tell like, your mama joke. But maybe it's something else. Like, like my dad, for example, whenever he's getting serious, his tell is that he suddenly becomes very quiet which is a rare occurrence. You're like, oh dear. Um, or my mom. My mom, when she's getting serious, she uses your full name, right? Like Laura Catherine Sparks. I can still hear it and I still tremble in fear. Um, maybe, maybe for you, it's that you like rub your temple or that you just like say something like, well, or there's a certain look that you give. Um, maybe you can think of what yours is. And if your family member is here, maybe they know your tale and they can tell you what it is. But whenever you do that thing, whenever you make that, that, um, make that look or whenever you say that thing, then like the people who are closest to you, they know. And they like go on high alert in that moment because they know you are serious. You mean business. Well, what if I told you today that Jesus had some tales as well? In fact, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, um, as, we, as we start into the passage, Jesus does some things that indicate to anyone who was gathered around that he meant business in that moment, that things were getting serious. It's one of those parts of the Bible that a lot of times we like buzz right on past because it, it just seems like fluff. It doesn't seem all that important. It seems like it's just there to help us transition from one story to another but let me break this down for us a little bit, okay? This is what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus sat down. Now, that might not sound all that um, all that interesting. It doesn't sound like that is, might not sound like that's anything that's all that distinct. I mean, we all sit down, right? And in fact, you're all sitting down in this moment. But context matters here. Jesus was a rabbi. And, and the way that things worked is when, when rabbis sat down, it communicated something to everyone else. Um, normally, a rabbi would be up like walking around just doing life and his disciples would follow behind him. And he would teach them kind of like wherever he went. Um, in fact, it was said that if, if a, good, a mark of a good disciple is that you were covered in your rabbi's dust because you were following him around so closely all the time. But whenever a rabbi was getting serious, whenever a rabbi was about to give an official teaching, whenever they were about to say something, they wanted to make sure that absolutely no one missed, guess what they did? They sat down. Jesus sat down on the mountain. And so the translation there is like, get ready, wake up, pay attention here. But before jumping right in, Matthew goes on and he says something else. It's another tell for us that this is getting serious. He says, he began to teach them. 
And again, it might sound like another throwaway comment. It's just getting us to that next bit of the passage. But a better translation of what is written here is that he opened his mouth. And this is a very particular phrase in the Greek language. It has a double meaning, in fact. It means two things at the same time. When someone opened their mouth, what it meant was that what they were about to say was very weighty. It was very significant. And then the other thing that it meant is that when that person was saying that weighty thing, that they were not just saying something off the cuff. No, what they were doing is they were opening up their hearts and pouring it out in this moment. And so Jesus sat down and then he opened his mouth. He had something important. He wanted his disciples and the crowd that had gathered around to hear in this moment. All of this was meant to put them on high alert. This is serious stuff. And so what did Jesus say? I'm going to invite you to read this with me today. If you would read the underlined parts, okay? He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Um, Perhaps you've heard these words before. Um, These are the beginning words of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually a a couple, a few chapters long in the book of Matthew. But these particular words uh, that are part of that larger sermon, they're known as the Beatitudes. Jesus, he goes through and he gives us this long list of people who are blessed, people who are happy. But at just a quick glance, as you start going through this list, this is not a list of people that we would normally put in the happy bucket, is it? No, like the the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the weak. These are not the poster children for blessedness. We know painfully well that that sometimes the poor in spirit, that, that they are not victorious. We know that those who mourn are not always comforted. We know that the weak, the meek, uh, don't usually inherit the earth. That those who are merciful don't always have compassion shown back to them in the same way. And so what Jesus is describing here is obviously not the actual state that our world is in, right? In fact, it seems to be describing the complete opposite. And so maybe Jesus is doing something else here with these words. Perhaps he's giving us a checklist of what we can do to be, like we say on social media sometimes, hashtag blessed, right? In eight easy steps. Just become all of these things and and you will have arrived at happiness and you will be sure to be on God's good list. Honestly, for the longest time, that's how I approached the Beatitudes. I would come to the Beatitudes I would go through it line by line and I would say, like, how can I be more merciful? How can I be more hungry and more thirsty for righteousness? How can I be more pure of heart? I would make the Beatitudes into kind of this measuring stick for holiness, this self-improvement plan that I could work to kind of earn my way into God's good graces 
and arrive at happiness. But I don't think that that's what Jesus is getting at here either. And so what if instead of telling us the way things are in our world or giving us a checklist for who we need to become, what if instead in this moment Jesus is painting a picture for us of what it looks like when love in person shows up? Think about it. That's who Jesus was. He was love in person. God incarnate. God come in the flesh. He was fully divine. He was the one who always has been and is and will be. He's the one who created the world and everything in it just by speaking the word. He is holy and high and lifted up. But at the very same time, and in just as full of a way, he is also human. It's kind of hard to, to wrap our minds around how that could be. I mean, it is for me. Like, how can you fully be two things, right? Like, God's math gets weird sometimes. And this is one of those cases. It's all a bit mysterious. And so we, we tend to, or at least I do, to kind of like downplay the human side of Jesus Especially when you start thinking things through, it can, it can kind of feel uncomfortable or maybe almost ir irreverent to think about the true humanness of Jesus. You know, to contemplate how Jesus or how God himself was in a womb and how he was held in the arms of a teen mom. To think about him going through puberty, you know, and the fact that he probably had pimples. What if he was tone deaf you know, what if he got tired and feared failure just like you and me? You know, he definitely got hungry. And as awful as it sounds, I'm sure he had body odor just like any other human. He was divine and human. In the person of Jesus, heaven and earth overlapped. And the result was that everywhere Jesus went, the love of heaven started invading earth shaking things up everywhere he went around. Um, maybe you've met somebody who kind of does that with their presence, like they show up and things change, you know? Um, maybe you were at a party and people are making quiet small talk and, um, and are just kind of sitting around being quiet and reserved. But whenever this person shows up, like, boom, everything changes. You know, sometimes we call them the life of the party, right? Is anybody here the life of the party? You know, oh, she's making Karen raise her, raise, raise her hand. Maybe you know somebody who is, but you know, it's like they bring the excitement and the energy with them through the door. Suddenly, like as they move through the room, laughter and, and smiles, they just follow and everybody is suddenly having this great time. Um, this is a lady that I consider the life of the party. This is Linda Stoffer. Y'all know Linda. She's worshiped here with us. Um, she was on our staff for many years. Um, she was actually recently in a car accident, and that was pretty serious. And so I want to invite you all to pray for Linda and her sister Jolene today. But Linda is the life of the party. Uh, Donna Bean can tell you, around our office, um, I, I came up with a nickname for her. I called her the cruise boat director because she was always like organizing these activities and trying to get us all involved, whether it be like go to a movie or a ball game um, or uh, to go out dancing. That lady loves to dance um, or to, she jumps out of airplanes um, and she is also a pickleball champion. Don't mess with her. Okay. But you know, there's just like absolutely no way to be around 
Linda and not have fun. She brings life with her wherever she goes. Jesus, he came not to be the life of the party, although I think Jesus knew how to have a good time. He seems to know how to party when you read through the Gospels, all right? But he came not to be the life of the party, but to be the life and the light of all humankind. And everywhere he went, his presence changed the atmosphere. When he, love in person, showed up, blessedness happened. The poor in spirit suddenly became rich in relationship, and those who mourn finally found comfort for their sorrow. The meek found their place in his kingdom, and those who hungered and, and thirsted for righteousness finally had their cravings filled. The merciful found kindness extended back to them, and the pure of heart, they saw the divine. Peacemakers took a seat at God's table. And the persecuted discovered that they were a part of something so much bigger than themselves. The Beatitudes, they paint this powerful picture of what was indeed already happening because Jesus' love in person had shown up here on earth. He was turning our world right side up again as the love of heaven was invading earth through him. This was serious stuff. Whenever Jesus said this, he, he wasn't just, you know, meaning business. No, he was telling people what his business was. This was at the very heart of what he had come to do in our world. But with these weighty words here in the Beatitudes, Jesus was not just painting a picture of, of what was happening through him in that moment, but he was painting a picture of what he wanted to continue to do through us, his disciples. Because he came in person, heaven and earth, they now overlap in us. He makes us love in person. Every time we comfort someone who is hurting, every time we, we include someone who is lost and lonely, every time that we visit the sick or we feed the hungry, every time we are generous or we offer forgiveness, every time that we show compassion or we fight for justice, every time we follow in the footsteps of our rabbi, Jesus, the love of heaven invades earth through us. And the kingdom of heaven takes root a little bit more here in our world. Um, here at Broadway, uh, you might hear us from time to time talk about our Stephen ministers. And as we talk about it, it might sound like this very official and very complex job that these people have. But the truth of the matter is, Stephen ministers are people who have just been encouraged and equipped to show up in people's lives, to be present, and to love them. Uh, many of you know Missy Cunningham. She worships with us here in the 9 o'clock service and leads our kids downstairs in Kids Zone. Uh, but what you might not know is that last year, about this time, her world was falling apart. Her dad, who was very important in her life, who she loved and um, was so close to, um, he passed away from COVID. And so she and her family, they talked about this together. They grieved about this together. But for whatever reason, she just couldn't seem to find a way out of the, what she describes as like the deepest sadness of her life. She said that the lows in her life, they just continued to get lower and it got harder and harder and harder for her to get back to normal. And so eventually she decided like, I, I need some help. 
And so uh, she went to Pastor Joe, who oversees our Stephen ministers, and he assured her, like, hey, God loves you. He's with you in the midst of your grief, but he doesn't want you to stay there. And so he um, matched her up with a Stephen minister. And this is what she had to say about that experience. She said, I can't honestly tell you what about this person struck me so close in my soul, but she did. I did not tell her anything any different than I told anyone else. I didn't uh, cry any harder. It was just different. She became the person that I bared my soul to as if I were sitting with an old friend, not someone I'd just met. Her presence, her voice, her spirit became a healing, soothing balm to my broken spirit. The Stephen ministers are people who walk in the pure light of Jesus. They personify Jesus' light in some of our darkest times on this earth. This person became love in person to her just by, by showing up and being present with her in the darkness, doing simple things like listening and showing compassion and offering a hug when it was needed. You know, but these little things, they add up. And these little things, they change Missy's world. You know, sometimes when we start talking about like changing the world, it can sound like something that is so big and, and just like so hard um, that we just kind of shut down. <laughs> we say like, there's no way that I can be a part of that, right? It's just so big that we have no idea where to start. And so often we don't. We get what I like to call analysis paralysis, you know, trying to figure out how it is that we can do it just right. But I was thinking about this, you know, like Jesus came into our world and he didn't fix everything while he was here on earth. You know, he, he didn't even like leave um, this, this one little area that he walked around in, you know, this very small piece of the planet. And even in that small piece of the planet, he didn't heal and restore and make disciples of everyone while he was here. He simply went around and he loved the person who was in front of him. And so what if we followed his lead this Advent season? We not, might not be able to change the whole world, but what about your break room at work by showing kindness and offering encouragement to a coworker who's, who's struggling? Or what about your next door neighbor's porch as you sit out there with them and they, they tell you stories about the loved one that they're missing during the season? Or what about at the nursing home down the street as you sit with someone who has no family to speak of? It doesn't take big, grand gestures. It so often looks like just showing up like Jesus did and being love in person to others. Those small actions, you might think they don't matter much, but I can guarantee you that those small actions change people's worlds as heaven invades earth in that moment. Blessedness happens in their lives. And the Beatitudes, they're not just some nice thing that's written in the Bible. Like in that moment, they actually come to life. And so as we come to the table today and as we look upon the bread and as we drink of the juice, may we remember how God himself came as love in person for us. And as we eat and as we drink, may we experience love, the love of heaven invading earth in us once more that we might take that love 
and offer it to others.